This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hammerich. This is our final episode of Season 1. This seems like a good time to step back and assess if we're on the right track here with this podcast. To do that, we need your help. Please take just a few minutes and fill out our listener survey. This will be incredibly important to determining how this show should proceed. We want to make sure that it's valuable to you. So please, the link for that survey can be found in the show notes. We greatly appreciate you clicking on that and providing your feedback. Today in episode 15, we discuss the importance of fall weed control for pulse crops. Joining me is Dr. Joe Eichley. Joe is an extension weed specialist at North Dakota State University based out of the main campus in Fargo. His extension responsibilities include weed control on all row crops except for sugar beets and potatoes. He got his PhD from Purdue University and before that grew up in Maryland where he got a couple of degrees and worked a lot with glyphosate resistant horseweed, which we'll talk about here on this episode. Many listeners of the podcast will remember episodes two and six, where we talked about herbicide applications with Dr. Brian Jenks. Today's episode will be a very helpful and timely addition to those two. But maybe a good place to start is, why is fall weed control so important? We do just want to emphasize as many ways as we can that these weeds will be easier to control this fall than they will be in the spring. And so that's why we talk about this. Sometimes can be a little bit slow to get adoption of these techniques because it is different from the way we think about a traditional herbicide program. You know, of plants apply a herbicide with residual. If we have options available in crop to clean up weeds, we spray once or twice in crop. So, you know, our historical herbicide program, herbicide at planting, herbicide in crop, that's when we spray. But, you know, these weeds are taking advantage of that. And so it's kind of a mindset shift. But those who typically do it are always reporting great results. Far more people are happier than not if we apply these herbicides in the fall, where these weeds are far easier to control than trying to wait until spring right around planting time. And so that's really one of the main reasons why we do talk about that is, you know, we're not just uh, saying go out there and spray for fun because we want to spray some more. You know, it's the easiest time to control these weeds. You're going to have far better results. And we also have something like glyphosate and 2,4-D can be a pretty cheap way to control these weeds in the fall when it's still very effective. So again, just, you know, taking advantage of these weeds that are up now, killing them off before they go into winter. It's one of the best things we can do to prepare us for 2021. And so that's why we continually hit home on fall weed control applications. Joe says that for weeds like horseweed and hawksbeard, the seed is mobile and windborne. So just because you didn't have a problem last year doesn't necessarily mean you won't have an issue this year. And you heard him mention glyphosate there as an option. But we've heard reports about glyphosate resistance being present out there. So I asked Joe to share what he's seeing in terms of resistance issues. Yes, and this is always something we see in the weed science world when we shift towards no-till production, especially in the last 20 years. It kind of happened in the corn and soybean realm first with glyphosate-resistant horseweed. And I'll be talking a lot about horseweed throughout this, and, and there's a good reason for that. This is actually the 20th anniversary of the first glyphosate-resistant weed being discovered in the U.S., and that was horseweed and no-till soybeans in Delaware. 
how this becomes kind of a game changer for no-till systems, and I'll, I'll of course tie this back into pulse crops here, is historically when we shift towards no-till, rather than using tillage in the spring to prepare our seed bed, we're going to use something about as easy as it gets chemically, and that's usually glyphosate or Roundup, the most popular trade name. And that historically, when we switch to no-till, controls all of our weeds in the spring. Very, very broad spectrum herbicide. There's a reason why we used it a lot. Horseweed was one of the first weeds, the first weed in the U.S. to start taking advantage of overuse or over-reliance on glyphosate. And it is a winter annual weed. So it germinates in the fall, will overwinter, and then starts bolting and going to seed in the spring and summer. And so historically in no-till systems, we just apply glyphosate that would control whatever horseweed overwintered, and then we'd plant our crops and be on our way. With resistant horseweed, we started spraying glyphosate, we controlled the other weeds, but horseweed would escape. And it became a problem because we'd spray, plant our crops, and then we oftentimes wouldn't realize we have a major horseweed problem until our crops are up and we, we have to do something else to control the horseweed that glyphosate did not control. In crops like soybean and corn, we have those options, we still do. Uh, with pulse crops, we don't have those in-crop options. So horseweed is kind of the, the classic example of just over-relying on glyphosate in the spring to control our weeds. And here's one weed that due to resistance can take advantage of that system and then become more problematic in crop. And it's a weed that germinates the, the fall before, the year before. Now horseweed, it can germinate in the spring, but North Dakota, we still feel that primarily you know, 70 to 80% of our horseweed does germinate in the fall about this time of year, September, October. And so when we talk about those weeds that overwinter, they are far easier to control in the fall than if we wait until spring to try and control those that have overwintered. And so this is the best time of year for not just horseweed, but other problematic weeds. We have winter annual grasses. It's really the best time of year, easiest to control them with chemicals now than in the spring after they overwintered. Now, Joe has been emphasizing horseweed and hawk's beard as sort of driver weeds here. He also mentioned other weeds that pulse farmers should be scouting for in the fall, including weeds like prickly lettuce, false weed chamomile, winter annual grasses such as downy brome, and some perennials like foxtail barley. But if a farmer is trying to avoid glyphosate entirely, either they're worried about resistance issues or for any other reason, what other options are out there available? Yeah, and this is where it becomes kind of a more complicated question and a little bit important for us to address if we're planning to plant pulse crops in 2021. For anyone in a no-till system going to corn or soybean, you have a, a wide portfolio of options because of rotation restrictions will allow us to plant those crops. Pulse crops, as we all know, we have a you know, much longer rotation restrictions with the herbicides that we apply. But there's still several that we can use in the fall that are still pretty effective on the weeds that we're dealing with. So for those grasses that we're dealing with, it's still going to be glyphosate. A full rate, a quart of a, of a 4.5 pound gallon glyphosate will do a really good job on all those grasses that we've talked about. And it kind of goes back towards, in my mind, horseweed and hawksbeard. We tend to build programs around those two weeds because they can be problematic, but whatever herbicides we tend to use for those two weeds, we'll pick up the other weeds along the way. 
we'll use the term driver weed. If horse weed or hawk's beard is your driver weed, build a program around that. You should pick up the other weeds with that weed control program. So in addition to glyphosate, when we're looking at things that we can apply this fall, the cheapest thing you can add into the tank and still get some good efficacy out of would be 2,4-D. So a pint, you could go up to a quart of 2,4-D. That's a pretty good combination. It will pick up your hawk's beard and horseweed here in the fall as well. We can get a little bit more in tune. Uh, we can have some other options, especially if we talk about hawk's beard. If we use Express, that's the most common trade name for Trivenuron. There's others that contain Express, such as Panoflex. That can help us out with hawk's beard control. We can add something to the tank like Valor. Valor will give us some foliar control, very little of these weeds, but it gives us residual control in the fall and even a little bit into the spring as well. So, you know, with these weeds, they're going to germinate at different times throughout the fall. But if we spray, say, October 15th with the glyphosate 2,4-D, we can clean up most of what has emerged. But then if we add some Valor into that tank, Anything that tries to emerge after that, we should get good control. And then we'll also get some residual control in most years out of that valor into the early spring as well. Just we tend to have enough valor left in the soil in our more arid climates where we have our pulse crops, um, and especially on in no-till, that we can get some residual out of that as well next spring. For those that are getting ready to plant a pulse crop next spring, do they need to be concerned about any residual herbicides from any of these products we're discussing? So some of these are generally short-lived residuals. And so based on our herbicide restrictions on the label, the work has been put in that they're not going to affect our pulse crops. Valor can be one where if we apply a higher rate, we start especially for lentils start getting into up to seven months between application and when we can plant lentils based on the label. And so that, that would be kind of a, a combination where if you're getting late into the fall, either back the valor rate down to avoid injuring the crop or just leave it out altogether. If, if for some reason you're reading the tea leaves and you think we'll have a real early planting next year. Uh, so that's why on these herbicide labels, they have months of restriction to planting a crop and some of these options that we've talked about, we can plant pulse crops afterwards. One that I will highlight some, a little bit more detail, very similar to 2,4-D would be dicamba. And so everyone knows dicamba, banville, clarity, others, very good on, on a lot of our broadleaf weeds. One of the kind of weird things when you start reading these dicamba labels is that for dicamba, and there are a few other herbicides, but not the ones I have already mentioned today, but for dicamba, we cannot count the months where the soil is frozen when we're counting months between dicamba application and planting of crops. So for instance, with Banville, Clarity, I forget which label, it specifically points this out, you know, it might be four months between application and planting uh, field peas, for instance. And I may have the exact dates wrong, but we're using an example, and this is why we propose crops. We don't always recommend dicamba in the fall. If we spray it October 1, the soil freezes November 1, then we can only count October. And then next year, whenever the soil thaws, we have to count months 2, 3, and 4. So let's say if it's April 1, April, May, June, we could not plant until July 1 based on that label. 
And so for other crops, corn, uh, soybean on the eastern part of the state, that's not too much of a problem. But with our pulse crops, that's the one tricky one where, you know, dicamba, we, we cannot count the frozen months when we count the months from herbicide application till planting. And so that's why it's one to be a little bit careful with. Sharpen is another herbicide that we can use pre-plant and pulse crops, and we use a lot. But that's another one that has this weird label language where we cannot count the frozen months. So you kind of have to know that about a couple chemicals when developing a fall herbicide program. You know, it's, it's not always four months is four months. For a couple of them, we cannot count those frozen months as well. This point about dicamba is certainly important, and it got me thinking. What other timing considerations do farmers need to be aware of to get their fall weed control program as effective as possible? I mean, when is too early and when is too late? Yeah, so there, there's a couple of things to consider with timing. You know, I'll, I'll kind of start at your last point in your question, when is it too late? Herbicide labels tell us that when the ground is frozen, we can't legally apply herbicide. So that's our end point we're working with here in the fall. Our beginning point, if we're talking glyphosate 2,4-D, let's, let's just say that's your option you want to use. If you don't have any of those weeds emerged, you're too early. We're not going to get residual control out of those. So it, it's finding that spot in between. So usually when we talk about winter annuals, rainfall in late August and September will really encourage germination of these weeds. Now, a lot of pulse crop areas have not had that rainfall this September yet, but it doesn't take a whole lot of rain to get these small seeded weeds germinating and growing in the fall. So realistically, if we wanted to put a window or a time frame, let's say we have about a realistic six week window here, mid-September through the end of October. And part of that has to do with then, that's typically when we'll have the weeds up and emerged and we can still get a lot of good activity out of those herbicides. So we also want some warm temperatures and we want overnight lows to not be consistently below freezing. Typically with these systemic herbicides like glyphosate or 2,4-D, we want the weeds to be actively growing when we apply these herbicides so that they will translocate to the growing points of the weeds. Coming off of a, a night with the temperatures in the 20s, the plants won't be actively growing all that much the next day. So, you know, overnight lows in the 30s is not ideal, but we're getting to the time of year where that's just going to be reality. That's the benefit of applying herbicides in the fall is these weeds will be smaller and we can kind of push the boundary a little bit on some of these air temperatures when the weeds are growing. Whereas if you were to ask me overnight lows in the 30s in the spring, to use these herbicides to control these weeds that have overwintered, that's not ideal at all of a situation. And so we can give it a rule of thumb of maybe about six weeks from mid-September to the end of October. But if winter gets here in a hurry, you know, the temperatures drop off and we get a lot of these frozen nights and, and the weeds just stop actively growing, then that may bump the end of our time frame up a week or a couple weeks. So it kind of depends on the year, but that's the six-week window we typically try to work with. Now, there's at least one big weed in pulses that we haven't talked about yet, kochia. And even though it's one that germinates in the spring, fall weed control actually can still help. So, you know, everyone in the pulse crop area, we're all familiar with kochia. You know, it's a weed that germinates early in the spring. So it's one that if we do that simple program I mentioned earlier, glyphosate 240 in the fall, 
that's not going to do anything for kochia in the spring. But we may have glyphosate-resistant kochia. It's a little bit more difficult to clean up in the spring if we kind of wait right until planting and then use herbicides. But one thing that's good with kochia, one of the products I mentioned earlier, Valor, that's a product that Brian Jenks out of the Minot Research Center has been looking at for a number of years now. And more often than not, he has seen that when he applies Valor in the fall and then goes to evaluate kochia control the next spring, we will control 50 to, I think, maybe upwards of 80 to 90 percent of the kochia that emerges the next spring because we still have some of that residual valor that's in the soil next spring when kochia starts emerging in the March to April timeframe, since it's one of the first weeds out of the ground. Now, why that's important for kochia is kochia will drop a lot of seed in a very small area. So we'll often see these, what we'll call kochia mats, where it could be hundreds or thousands of little seedlings in a one or two square foot area. And that many plants in a small area is almost impossible to get thorough coverage with our sprayers to get herbicide onto every plant. So what using something like Valor in the fall will do is it'll remove, we'll just say 50% or higher of those plants. And so we have fewer plants to deal with in the spring, a much higher likelihood of getting good thorough coverage on those weeds and it puts in a better position to control the kochia that does emerge at planting. And so I kind of bring that up because we are getting more widespread glyphosate-resistant kochia that backs us into two options I can think of off the top of my head for pulse crops. That would be using gramoxone or Sharpen in the spring at burndown. But if we can use something like Valor in the fall to reduce the kochia stand, then that will help those two products work much better in the spring by getting better coverage on the kochia that is there when we go to plant or apply our spring burn down. So that would be the, the other one top of my mind of weeds we need to worry about in these areas that we can still address in some manner with a fall herbicide program. We've talked a lot about effective herbicide treatments here today, but what types of cultural practices are effective for farmers that want to reduce their dependence on these chemicals? Yes, and so cultural practices, you know, they still remain really one of the best things we can do for weed control, especially when we look at something like pulse crops with more limited herbicide options. And luckily, our pulse crop growers tend to usually have good crop rotation in place. Some of these weeds I've talked about, horseweed and, and hawksbeard, we have a lot more options for control of those two weeds and small grains than we do in, in pulse crops. It's much easier to take out a broadleaf weed in a grass crop than a broadleaf weed in a broadleaf crop. So that can help on a field-to-field basis. As I mentioned, kind of a, a lot of horseweed in one field is a high likelihood of a lot of horseweed in that same field next year. So if you have good horseweed control in wheat this year, then you've reduced your likelihood of having a lot of horseweed if you go into pulse crops next year. So crop rotations can really help in that manner. As far as you know, something like cover crops, we are seeing a lot more promise, especially with early season weed control in the spring with cover crops. The one that we kind of go back to as weed scientists is uh, cereal rye. So something we can plant in the fall, relatively cold tolerant, so it does stand a really good chance of overwintering up here in, in North Dakota and in, in Montana. 
And then what we typically see when we measure weed control with cereal rye is the more biomass that we can produce out of that rye, the more suppressive ability we get on weeds the next year. So we look at this a lot for our summer annual weeds like kosher, lamb's quarters, any horseweed that is a spring emerging horseweed. And so typically if we have a lot of rye biomass, we'll have better weed control or suppression. It doesn't always mean we'll prevent those weeds from germinating. In fact, a lot of our research will indicate that we may have roughly the same number of individual weeds in that field, but they have less biomass. So they are more suppressed, which helps us when we go to apply our herbicides, the smaller the weed, the less robust that weed is, the easier it is to control with herbicides. That's kind of what we're seeing with summer annual weeds with a cover crop like cereal rye. Where we see some more promise would be for these things like hawksbeard or horseweed. So we're planting a competitive cover crop about right now. We'll have something in the field that can compete with the weeds in the fall. And then we'll produce a lot of biomass pretty quickly in the spring, which will also help compete with these weeds that have the same lifespan or the same life habit, you know, grows the same time of year as these weeds. The other thing that we have available to us is if we have a rye cover crop, we check on it mid-October and there is quite a lot of horseweed or hawksbeard, we could still have the ability to spray 2,4-D in that crop, would not injure the cover crop, but we could control those weeds within the crop. So we could kind of eliminate that October flush still, probably wouldn't have a whole lot of germination, and then give us kind of a better advantage into next spring. The one thing I do want to point out, especially in our areas that, that we grow pulse crops, some of these cover crops, like rye, can use a lot of moisture in the spring. So, you know, a lot of these areas, moisture is our main limiting factor. And so that, that's where we do need to get some more research, some more data points in more arid regions about the balance with the rye cover crop. Can we get some weed control out of that? Yes. But do we do more harm than good by using moisture up and moisture that would be available during planting to the pulse crops? We can paper over some of those cracks or, or, you know, we can address that issue of moisture a little bit better here in the eastern part of the state. And then certainly once you get deeper into the Corn Belt where moisture is not hardly ever a limiting factor, always can be, but more often than not, it is not. But where we have these pulse crops and moisture is kind of one of our biggest things always on the mind. That's where we want to figure out if we're potentially causing more harm than good by using up our moisture while trying to control weeds. So it could be that we can make this work very well, but we need more data points to try and obtain that balance. Now, right before we wrap up today's episode, I wanted to ask Joe, what could be expected in the future from weed science research for pulse crop producers? Since I'm kind of located in a part of the state with not many pulse crops at all, that's where it I love what we have established here at NDSU, where we have two primarily weed scientists and then another one with weed science training on these uh, REC centers in the western part of the state. And so a lot of great folks out there, well, if I add into Carrington, there's a lot of good post-crop research being done there as well. So, you know, kind of four different centers with a lot of good research going into post-crops. And so I kind of look at some of the directions they're going because they deal a lot with 
you know, what, what is there still to be done? What can we still do with pulse crops? Some of them are looking at this cover crop before pulse crop type of situation. Can we make that feasible in a drier environment? We're talking about fall weed control. And so, for instance, one of the things that we would like to revisit is uh, the dicamba label, where we cannot count the frozen months when we talk about our crop rotation restrictions. So sometimes something like that is written into a label just as an abundance of safety or precaution on the company that releases the herbicide and can't ever blame them for that. But as we get into more difficult situations and few new herbicides are coming to the market, you know, are there different ways we can use what we have? You know, for instance, are we in a situation where we can count some of those frozen months when we're counting from time of application to planting? So some of that's being evaluated out there. Another product that will be good, and I believe I saw it just did get registered, uh, but we should hopefully have available to chickpea growers in uh, 2021, is an old herbicide that's new again. Tough herbicide is at least back in corn. I believe the chickpea label should be following very quickly. And so that's another one. What's old is new again. So it's back. A different company brought it back. Uh, that would be a herbicide that gives some level of broadleaf weed control in chickpeas, which would be really great for all of our chickpea acres. So, you know, a lot of it is finding these herbicides that used to exist or are currently on the market. Can we have different uses or use patterns where we can work them into our pulse crop rotation? That's kind of a lot of the research that's ongoing from these other, you know, great weed scientists within North Dakota. And I think they're going in a lot of really good directions for what we can do for pulse crops with some of these projects. Thanks so much to Dr. Joe Eichley for sharing all of this fantastic information on today's episode. I mean, you may want to go back and listen to this one again before it gets too late in the fall, as it was jam-packed with insights on fall weed control. That's a wrap for season one of Growing Pulse Crops. If you didn't already pause the episode to fill out the listener survey, please, please, please do that now. Once again, the link is in the show notes. It won't take you very long and it will be enormously helpful to the future of this show. The show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the North Central IPM Center and USDA NIFA. I've had a great time bringing you these episodes and I look forward to hopefully being back with a season two very soon.